Welcome to the HRS Podcast, the show about things that can go wrong in the workplace and how to avoid them. This show is sponsored by ECDESC, a firm that uses a unique polling method to spot problems in the workplace, from interpersonal issues like harassment, underutilized talent, or even financial and accounting concerns. After the show, learn more at ECDESC.com. That's E-K-D-E-S-K.com. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Today's episode is about the risks of scaling quickly. An organization with a small headcount may have a strong, cohesive, and equitable culture. Everyone knows each other. Everyone's accountable to each other. But as organizations start to scale up in headcount, that culture can start to break down in ways that can contribute to workplace issues and that can reduce workplace equity. Scaling presents a risk for the entire organization, but the risk often falls unequally on women, people of color, and employees who come from other diverse backgrounds. Joining us today to discuss the risk of scaling quickly is Angela Deer. Angela is a senior HR professional and diversity inclusion expert, as well as a member of the diversity.vc team. Her HR experience and knowledge has been built up at some of the most high-profile organizations, including Google and King, the digital gaming company. Her experience also includes the financial and investment banking industries. As a beneficiary of a Black, Asian, and minority program herself, she's experienced firsthand the difference that diversity programs can make. Angela, welcome to the HR Risk Podcast. Thank you for having me. Angela, before we jump into today's topic, could you tell us a little bit more about your background and the work that you've been doing? Absolutely. So my background is in HR, and I've worked at many companies, including Google and King. King was quite small and a startup. Um, diversity and inclusion is one of my passions. Not only has it been a professional passion of mine, it's also been a personal passion. So you've been an HR professional at several organizations, and I believe King is the maker of a game, right? That's right. Candy Crush. Candy Crush, a little little game that listeners might have heard of. Uh, So you've had experience with organizations that have grown in terms of their footprint and their headcount. And our topic today is managing workplace equity and scaling organizations. Angela, as you've seen companies grow, both in your role now and in your, your past roles, how does the culture of an organization change when it goes from a few dozen employees to a few hundred and then maybe to a few thousand after that? So I think in my experience, what I've seen is it changes dramatically. You know, I've worked in organizations that have been large. So, for example, Google, and then they've opened offices, which have expanded the headcount dramatically. And so when an organization grows, it also has there's a number of factors you need to consider. So one is, how is it growing? Is it growing in one particular location? So whilst I was at Google, there was a lot of growth in EMEA. And so that brought a whole range of diversity and different challenges um, whilst I was at King, we grew dramatically from quite a small headcount to quite a large headcount, all within the London office. So it does matter on a, a geographical scale, but each person that joins an organisation impacts the culture and the environment in that organisation. And, and so it's absolutely fundamental that when you're scaling an organisation, you have this in mind that it will impact your culture. As a culture changes, as an organization scales, are there any particular risks for women, for people of color, for people from other diverse communities in the workplace? And are there structural changes that occur as organizations scale that can contribute to those workplace equity risks? Absolutely. I think what I've seen, especially in the tech world, is that 
there's this huge desire to sort of up the headcount so you can produce products or games or really, really ramp up. And as part of that process, there's a huge focus on just headcount. Let's double the headcount. Let's rush in and do these things. And so there's a huge amount of pressure that goes with that. At the same time, there's a number of people who may be involved in that recruitment process and who may not actually directly know a huge amount about the organisation. So if you're outsourcing your recruitment processes and those individuals aren't aware of a diversity policy that you may have, that's quite a problem. So for me, one of the big things that organisations need to look at in the workplace is if they are outsourcing any of this recruitment process, um, they need to ensure that the recruiters are well versed in the diversity policy. Lots of startups as well and organisations who are quite small don't actually have a diversity policy in place from the beginning. And so what you often see is that this happens at a later stage when the organisation is really large. And this may be also due to resourcing issues. So if you have got a small headcount and you've got a small HR department, you may not be able to bring in a diversity and inclusion expert, for example. I think there are structural changes that when you're scaling up that you need to look at. So there's various points. So obviously recruitment and onboarding is very important. So looking at what is the recruitment process, how can we remove unconscious bias from that process? You know, how do we source the talent? Where does this talent come from? Is this referrals from people we already know? Or is this tapping into communities that have not got great connections? So for example, people who don't have a personal network. So, and also looking at other opportunities. So for example, if you look at working parents, are there returnship opportunities that could be leveraged here? Could hire a returner or somebody who perhaps was a veteran? Is there, is, are there other talent streams that you can look at that you may not necessarily have thought about? So I think absolutely there's scope for work to be done here. But often the pressure for scaling quickly outweighs doing it at pace and really being mindful about the diversity pipeline at the point of sourcing and actually planning for your resources. So I think every organisation should look at the employee life cycle and look at how they can eliminate bias from each step. Definitely. And it's not an either or between scaling quickly and, and embracing a diversity policy and keeping and being mindful of diversity. A, a workforce that has good culture around diversity is going to be more effective. So it's a small investment as a company is growing quickly on the front end, but it would pay dividends on the back end in terms of just the effectiveness of the workforce. Absolutely. I agree with you. And I think a, a lot of organizations, if they make diversity part of their business strategy, that will always be at the top of the agenda. So whilst they're looking at business interactions as well as employee interactions, if it's part of their business strategy, it will pay off. It will pay dividends. I mean, there's been a lot of research around this. I don't know if you've come across it, but Diversity VC, um, the organisation that I'm, I'm part of the team there, we have launched an Entrepreneurs Founders Toolkit, which basically provides tools for individuals to actually be able to implement diversity best practice from the very beginning as they scale up. So I think having those kind of tools available to, to people can be immensely useful, especially when you're under the pressures of delivering products or scaling quickly. Right. And I've taken a look at the toolkit and for our listeners, whether you're at a large organization or a smaller organization that's just starting to add headcount, it's a great resource, very accessible. So if, for example, you are uh, somebody who wears lots of hats and HR is one of them, it's definitely accessible and has best practices that are actionable that you can implement to really move the ball forward on your diversity practice and, and culture. Angela, I wondered if part of this is that the rate of growth itself can be a factor. For example, if an organization gets to a thousand person headcount in five years, 
all else equal, is the risk going to be different than for an organization that gets to that point in just a couple of years? In, in other words, does a, an organization that's growing more quickly have more risk? I don't know. That's a that's an interesting one because I think there's not a huge amount of data up there. And I think one of the biggest things that needs to be addressed is gathering this data and looking at actually growing quickly in a short period of time. Does this have a, a bigger impact on diversity? I think there's a, a number of things here that need to be addressed. So number one, is diversity part of the business strategy? Number two, is diversity a value for the organization? And does the recruitment process focus on value fit as opposed to cultural fit? And I'd probably say, Number four is, I think it's also how diversity is embedded within the organization, not only as the employer brand um, to attract talent, but also what practice takes place. So I think one of the things that I often hear about people when I say that I work in the field of diversity, that everyone sees this as something that is just a nice to have or lip service that people say that they do. So what actually goes on in an organization that has a huge impact on whether uh, you've got a diverse talent pool. So quite a tricky question to answer. I, I guess you could say that it is riskier. I mean, from what I've seen, it can be riskier. But like you said, if you have the right tools and resources, and I guess if you set diversity as one of the top priorities for your organisation, there isn't a reason why it couldn't scale. But if I look at other industries that I've worked in, for example, banking and the legal profession, there's not a huge amount of diversity there either. And they've scaled slowly over time and seem to have just the same challenge as, say, for example, tech. That's a good point that industries that have scaled more slowly still have these issues and maybe in equal measure. You touched on, I think, a good comparison point where some people in your experience have viewed diversity as nice to have as maybe a branding exercise. And I assume that you've also seen examples of companies that have been more sincere in their embrace of diversity. Have you seen differences in results? And, and could you compare the outcome that those companies have in terms of what their diversity programs and policies and efforts get for them from a business results standpoint? Absolutely. So I think it's really interesting. I've been fortunate enough. I mean, I, I started off my career at PwC, which is a global accountancy firm. And at the time, there was a lot of criticism because they'd only hire kind of Oxbridge graduates and their recruitment process was mm -hmm. really driven around making sure that the academic background was one of the main areas of focus. But at the same time there, they were also investing in diversity. So I was involved in a program that I volunteered for and helped to run, which was to help underprivileged children in London to read via a volunteering scheme. And this was to help children who basically had come to the UK as refugees. And I would spend time sitting and reading with them. And so what was interesting was, although we may not necessarily many years ago seen the diversity at the accountancy firms, they were definitely aligning their corporate social responsibility programs with their diversity ideal scenario for the organization. And eventually they progressed and looked at setting up employee networks, which I was involved in as well, and now have become quite famous for the flexible working that they've now introduced and has successfully addressed this issue where people who require flexibility because of their caring responsibilities or health issues are able to maintain remaining in the workplace and their career as well as um, juggling other aspects of their life. So it's quite interesting to see that journey. Whilst I was at Ernest & Young, I um, launched the EY SAN South Asian Network. And I think what was really excellent about Ernest & Young was that they were continuously trying to improve and really listening to their employees. So I think one of the key things, if you look at PwC, is looking at how you can impact underrepresented groups extending through your corporate social responsibility programs. Number two is looking at Ernest & Young and saying, okay, within our own talent pool, 
how can we tap into other diverse networks that we would not necessarily have access to? And by setting up these employee programs and uh, networks, which are sponsored by senior individuals, you can then attract other talent. So whilst I was at Ernest & Young, I was able to help two or three people move roles who were thinking about leaving the organisation. It was a huge plus to see that Ernest & Young was investing in diversity and making sure that they were celebrating the differences that people had. So two good examples. And then whilst I was at Google, I was on the Top Black Talent Programme. And what that was looking at was at university students and saying, okay, university students who are underrepresented, mainly looking at and black students and saying, how can we help you to perhaps realize your dream to become an entrepreneur or perhaps to join Google? And I was part of that mentoring program, which was brilliant as well. And so a lot of individuals after that program either set up their own businesses or joined Google as a result. So I think there's many opportunities to create pathways for underrepresented groups to invest in communities which may not have the social or financial capital to have opportunities like everybody else, and then using diversity as a genuine attraction tool and saying, I guess when organisations take different approaches to diversity, it sends out a message to people. And I think when you actually act upon the words that you have for your diversity policy and you take action, you become noticeable. And I can definitely say that a lot of the people that I worked with at Ernst Young remained there because they were very happy there and they were able to retain their talent and help them progress. So That's the other point that you have to look at is once you have the diverse talent in, how do you enable them and help them reach their potential? Um, It's all well and good that you've been been able to secure them, but how do you make sure they reach their potential? So ensure that the performance management system is free of bias, have visible role models that people can see and say, actually, I know this is possible because I can see it in front of me. I can see that this is possible. Have mentoring programs like, for example, at Google to say, In my particular example, I may not necessarily have the answers, but I knew somebody who did have the answers and could introduce that to my mentee. So I think the organisations that actually think about those barriers specifically and try and break them down and listening to their employees, addressing those, those problems with solutions are the ones that are more successful, who get the best talent, retain that talent, and then obviously progress that talent forward. One of the important insights of that, I think, is particularly with the PwC and ENY example, is that their diversity and your diversity program can evolve and scale up itself over time. And so you don't have to have the perfect program from the get-go, but it has to be something from the get-go. And then it's a matter of listening to your employees, particularly employees from diverse backgrounds, to help shape that and grow it to achieve some of those objectives, particularly around retention uh, and recruiting. Absolutely. And I think I attend a lot of events in London, diversity events, and kind of you speak to people as you queue up for these events and they'll be really excited and really motivated to meet specific people that they look up to and role models. And they'll talk about their own organisation. So you get a huge insight into what really happens and how that makes them feel. and. Essentially, if you think about it, for me, HR was always about helping people, but um, it's also about the quality of your relationship. So if your employer understands you, then you have a better relationship. And that's the way I see it. And if you've got a better relationship with your employer, you're more more likely to stay, you're more, more likely to do your best work and you're more likely to progress. Right. All companies are a little bit different, of course, but are there certain headcounts that are milestones for HR leaders to be mindful of in terms of, okay, 
this might be an inflection point when we get to the 50 person, the 100 person, the 500 person mark, where we might start seeing issues emerge or workplace issues get more numerous or potentially severe as culture changes or as the company struggles to maintain culture. Yeah, I think this is a different one again to measure because I think most organizations should run sort of HR interviews when people are onboarded, which organizations don't do. And one of the key things that I often think about is that how can we be innovative and gather this data in a way that it doesn't become so overwhelming and inaccessible? because we need this data. So when somebody is hired, I think often at the onboarding process, we're really just talking about the organization. Do we at any point ask them what is important to you? What are your personal drivers? What would you like to see in diversity? And then at the same point, are we running employee surveys? I mean, some organizations do, but running anonymous employee surveys saying, what does your diversity program look like? Do you feel you have equal opportunities here? What support do you have in terms of sponsorship if you want to move up to leadership level? I think that's really important. And then when employers are leaving, a lot of organizations don't even conduct employee exit interviews, which I think is also very important because if you look at, for example, somebody who's on maternity leave and perhaps didn't get promoted or didn't receive the flexible working that they needed in order to meet their dual responsibilities, we're missing a whole piece there of looking at what's actually happening, what is the true reason for somebody leaving an organization. So I think that's something that companies definitely need to address. I think, again, culture is a hard thing to measure. It's a really tough thing to measure. I mean, often what I do before when I meet organizations or I'm meeting people, I ask them, I ask individuals to describe the company culture. But more than anything, I think that the values need to align with the culture because if diversity is one of your values, then it will it will be present within the DNA of your workplace culture. I've not run any particular statistics looking at this point, are we looking at 50%? specific numbers. I think one of the organisations I worked at, we were looking at how to improve corporate culture. So how do we improve the corporate culture? Because what they felt was that it was very outdated and a lot of, they weren't able to attract the right talent. And what they were doing was, was very interesting, looking at the likes of Facebook, Google, Lego, and looking at what do they do differently to ensure that their employees stay because of the particular organisation, which I won't name, but they had a huge attrition rate and so they kind of were trying to look at best practice and applying it to their organizations and I think one of the points you mentioned is that I guess there's not one size that fits all but I think definitely as far as diversity goes if that is embedded in within the policy the practices and the values of an organization and people can see that for themselves I think that speaks volumes and has a huge impact. You mentioned before you talk to an organization, you like to get the views of several people on on how they would describe their company culture. I, I expect that that's probably going to be a different impression from different people. And I imagine that different people having different conceptions of what the culture is could be pretty illuminating from perspective of collecting that data, whether you do it via surveys or you interview employees to get that information, but I think that would be pretty powerful diagnostic too uh, for where a company needs to go in terms of culture. I think, like you said, there's not even if you don't, if you have somebody, an individual who has different hats, there's, there's a lot of information out there. I mean, I did refer to our toolkit, but we also have a VC toolkit which can be applied to, I guess, any organisation. But it is really looking at that whole process, so from sourcing to you know, how do we attract talent and how do these individuals, we should take an innovative approach and sometimes kind of do a bit of auditing ourselves. So is it a case that somebody 
within the leadership team, within HR leadership team, has a quick look at some of the applications that didn't go through. You know, that could be a different way of addressing the problem and actually questioning, well, why didn't this application go through? Often what you hear from a lot of disgruntled candidates is, I never heard back. So who's actually screening these applications? Does it make sense to have double-step process? Not because we want to create more work, but just to see, you know, what is the reason why certain individuals are not getting through? And could there be any unconscious bias in that process? And then obviously, I think the onboarding process as well, making sure that's successful and asks about the individual. So I kind of said, you know, are we actually asking individuals about their drivers? What's important to them? What would they like to see from a diversity perspective? And then it's actually looking at what happens whilst they're at the organisation. So is it daily interactions? What are daily interactions like at the workplace? Do they feel included and safe within the environment where they feel like they can flourish and meet their potential? Then looking at progression. So, I mean, this can be measured, right? You can see which individuals are getting promoted and getting other opportunities, whether they're lateral moves or whether they're moving upwards and what kind of support is available for these diverse groups to make this happen. I think one of the key things as well that you'll see often is, you know, people talk about diversity policy. So are there diversity policies in place, number one? And number two, what happens when they are in place? How is this followed through and what does it result in? So quite interestingly, recently on a forum, somebody asked for some advice about keeping touch days that we have in the UK for maternity leave. And hundreds of people responded on their experience of it. But they all had very, very similar policies, but their actual experience of it was vastly different. So how are we training managers, people managers, to carry out these policies in a fair and reasonable way? And when we do that, we're sending a message to people and saying, we want you here. You're part of the team. You're included. You're the same, you know, in terms of equal treatment. So I think that's very important. And just making sure as you scale, you keep checking that, you know, you go back and you check those processes and those policies and make sure they're still in line with what you need. So if you look at the likes of Facebook and Google, when they first started, I doubt many employees had a family. As things evolve, you need to keep up with that. So you're going to have situations where your employees may have a family or your employee's parents may become ill and they may need to become a carer or your employee may go through a mental health problem or process. So you need to make sure that you're continuously reviewing those policies and making sure that they're fit for purpose, but also fit for your organisation. And so it's not just a matter of getting those numbers and making sure you're growing. It's making sure that you're bringing everybody along for that journey and addressing their unique and personal needs. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's always so important to keep in mind as a policy is being developed that this is not something that we can afford to just do and say that we did and put it on the shelf, but we actually need to have a real commitment to following through with it. And I think to your point too, we can't just even create a great policy and follow through with it without questioning and updating it based on the changing circumstances of our company and our workforce. Angela, if our listeners like to learn more about this topic or continue the conversation, where can they go for that? And I'll be sure to include a link, the toolkit that we discussed earlier as well. Absolutely. So I'm part of the team at Diversity VC, and we are trying our best to create a fairer and more diverse venture capital industry and tech industry as well, a larger ecosystem. So the best place to go is www.diversity.vc. All right, great. And I'll put a link to that on the show notes as well. Angela, thank you for joining the HR Risk Podcast. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us on another episode of the HR Risk Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we always welcome sharing the podcast with HR professionals. You can find notes for today's episode at ekdesk.com slash podcast. That's E-K-D-E-S-K dot com slash podcast. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Thank you.